and welcome to another episode of the Thinking Thick podcast. I am Amaris. And I am Lola. We're actually going to be just talking about the events that have happened. There's, there's just a lot going on in our world, but we wanted to place special attention on um, the events surrounding George Floyd's death and um, all the riots and looting, the protests and comments. We just wanted to talk about all of it here. I think what we wanted to start off with is just like what happened. What are the facts about George Floyd? And Amaris has that. I do. So I double checked with multiple sources, um, but my main source is BBC News. I kind of want to preface that at the beginning that everything that we say in this episode, besides the facts that I am getting from like BBC News and other news sources are our opinions um, and our feelings towards it. Um, just because we know that that is a very hot take right now. And we will address that like later on. But as for the facts of what happened, according to BBC, George Floyd, 46 years old from Minneapolis, Minnesota, died after being arrested by police outside a shop on May 25th, 2020. According to BBC News, Floyd bought a pack of cigarettes at Cup Foods, which was a local grocery store and the teenage employee believe that he used a counterfeit $20 bill for his transaction. The employee then followed Mr. Floyd, who was already out in his car and asked for the cigarettes back. Mr. Floyd refused, and the employee then called 911. According to the owner of the store, that is policy. So he did say that his employee was following the policy that they had in place that they are supposed to do when they believe someone has paid with a counterfeit bill. Um, when the employee called 911, they also proceeded to mention that they believed Floyd was under the influence of some sort and appeared to be intoxicated. The call was placed around 8 p.m. After arriving on the scene, Officer Thomas Lane approached the car and pulled out a gun on Floyd, ordering him to put his hands up. When Floyd stepped out of the vehicle, he was handcuffed and told he was being detained for passing counterfeit currency. It was then when backup officers arrived, and one of those was Derek Chauvin, age 44, who is the person that can be seen on the video that went viral. Chauvin arrived on the scene and attempted to help officers put Floyd into the police vehicle. In one of those attempts, Mr. Floyd fell out of the car and landed on the floor. That is when witnesses that were starting to gather around began filming. For 8 minutes and 46 seconds, Chauvin knelt on Floyd's neck. In the viral video, Floyd can be heard saying that he can't breathe. He repeats, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, says please multiple times and at one point begs for his mother. At around the six-minute mark, Floyd stopped moving, which prompted witnesses to urge cops to check for a pulse. Officer Ja Kung did, in fact, check for a pulse and couldn't find one. Floyd was then transported to Hennepin County Medical Center at 8.27 p.m., where he was pronounced dead one hour later. Oh, it's heavy. Okay. It is heavy. I, I honestly have avoided talking about this with many people because I'm like, I'm just going to try and get my thoughts and feelings and opinions down on a note before we record this episode and do this and people can then can then hear it you know yeah it's it's hard difficult it's hard it is difficult and it's something that but it is also something that we both are really really passionate about and we both think that is it is absolutely extremely important to talk about I think that now that we have a base and a timeline of what happened, my feelings towards it, when I like first heard about it, when I first saw the report, like it's so sad that my first thought was again, mm -hmm. like this happened again. It was very hard and very sad to see the video, to see like a grown man begging for his mother it was super hard and it brought back like feelings about every other time that this has happened. And it was like anger, confusion, sadness. Like I hurt for the family. Like I can never imagine like what it's like to be in that position and to be under like a microscope of like, or the entire country is talking about, you know, like the death of your loved one. For me, you know, like 
I'm still processing those emotions and they're definitely tied into like different aspects. Like they're tied into responses to the protests. They're tied into responses like to the rioting that's going on. So like the emotions for it are like a little bit everywhere, but like the core emotions are like anger, hurt, sadness that for some reason this keeps happening in our country and nothing is being done about it. Right. Yeah. My first reaction was like nope can't do this right now like truthfully I felt it in my gut and I felt like the sinking feeling in my stomach and in my heart and then I was like I cannot watch this right now I think I was like working and got you know a notification on my phone and I was just like cannot do like and then also a lot of anger came up because it was like we all collectively it seemed like just really started to honor and mourn the death of Ahmad Arbery, and yet again something is happening. Mm-hmm. Not moments later, like another man, George Floyd, is being murdered by a cop, and so it was just also that feeling of like again, I can't, I can't understand why this keeps happening. Like this just happened, and let alone like during COVID when we're supposed to be at home and most people are at home and not out very much. How is this happening just as much when people are mostly at home? Like, it's just like racism doesn't stop, you know? Just a lot of anger and sadness came up for me as I as I saw it come up in the news. And it's just scary, the kind of world that we live in. As a person of color, when you brought up, like, it is scary. Like, that's something that comes up because I think that every single time that something like this happens, it is just a reminder of how Black people are treated in this country, how like other minorities are treated in this country. And there are definitely a lot more number of reports of how Black people are killed at higher rates than other minorities. For me, like that's really hard to hear. Like that's really hard to try and wrap my mind around Because it's like a part of racism that people don't like to talk about. I think that, you know, like we, we know that there is racism. We know that, you know, like someone could say something when you're walking down the street, someone can like avoid you. They can like step out of an elevator or cross the street because like they are feeling some sort of type of way of like the African man or like the black man that's walking towards them. But I think that you know, like people need to realize that this can be a life or death situation for a lot of people. It's not just something that like you can hear about and be like, well, like, I'm sorry you experienced that. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's life and death. Yeah. For the African-American community, it is absolutely life or death. It's, it's just, it's hard living with that reality every day. And I think people are, are starting to at least see that this is something that people have to live with every day like wherever you are you are always aware and alert and like we have to be taught to be that way from from a very young age and I feel it in my body too like the stress and the trauma too because it's like I remember walking around this week or driving around this week and seeing a cop and I was terrified like I was already like shaking seeing the cop behind me because it's like you have no idea who this Mm -hmm. person is and like it's a very common that black Americans are targeted by the cops and, mm-hmm. and killed. I don't feel safe having the cops be the people who are protecting. Yeah. Which goes against like everything that they're supposed to stand for. Right. right. And I think that that brings up like the argument that people are making now, like there's good cops and bad cops. Right. And like, they want you to make this distinction But I think that for me as a person of color, it's not when I have to interact with a cop, it's not that I automatically assume that they are bad. It's just that my guard is up. Mm -hmm. So like that trust that you are supposed to have in the people that are quote unquote there to serve you and to protect you, it's not automatically there Mm -hmm. because of all the interactions that I have had with them or that like I've heard about or that you see on the news. Right. So like as a person of color, like that fear is very relevant 
mm-hmm. like that exact like fear of like there is a cop I'm not doing anything wrong but all of a sudden I'm nervous mm-hmm. and like yeah you could you could say that there are good cops there are bad cops but the reality is like those cops are protected by society and people of color are not so like if you do interact with a bad cop they will get away with whatever however they're treating you and you don't have any sort of protection and this is a more this is a systemic issue and it's not an individual issue so like the 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 argument of like well they're good cops too like it doesn't work because systemically cops are not there to protect people of color and they're targeting people of color and that's the way it seems like things are, are structured. It definitely is. And, you know, like for me personally, like, again, like I don't think every cop is bad. I don't think that, but like I have had interactions and I told you about this when I was driving back from Nashville, Mm -hmm. like as soon as I left Tennessee and I got into Kentucky, I immediately got pulled over, was not doing anything wrong. The first thing the cop says when he approaches the car is, is this car stolen? Are there any drugs in the vehicle? Why are you driving through here? Who is the owner of this vehicle? Like immediately. And as a person of color who is going through a Southern state, like Mm. that is scary. That is really scary. Yeah. Like, to automatically be approached like that and to automatically be questioned and to have, like, be like, it's my mom's car. Are you sure it's your mom's car? Yeah, where's your mom? Literally right here in the Mm backseat. And then, like, I asked them, I'm like, can I ask why you pulled me over? Oh, um, we just couldn't see the sticker that goes on your license plate, your registration sticker. Oh, we just couldn't see your registration sticker, so we just pulled over to, like, double check. Yeah, that conversation, it was not reflective of why he pulled you over at all. Exactly. And I pulled over at a gas station and saw my registration sticker. Perfectly fine. Yeah. So, like, it's it's something that I think that white people, people that are not minorities, like, it's very hard to understand unless you actually live it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's something that, like, I could tell you, but, like, until you're in that experience and you're like feeling the nerves because like it is your voice versus a cop Mm -hmm. so like if something were to happen chances of someone believing you is very very slim which is why people have turned to recording cops and even with that like there's times where I have been pulled over or I have interacted with a cop and like my mind is like okay like if something starts going south like I need to find a way to like record it. And then you get nervous because you're like, that's going to piss them off right. and it can potentially make it worse. Like escalate the situation you're trying to protect yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Because there's so many videos of, you know, like someone recording it and the cop being like, you're not allowed to record, put it down. Like you can't record this, like put it down. Right. So it's like, you're trying to put things in place to check the police like you're policing the police right it's it's up to you as a person of color to uh protect yourself and not the system that is supposed to be there to protect you yeah and yeah I just and that's just really really sad it's super super hard and it's something that like goes against everything that you would want from people who are supposed to help you in like a time of need and it's something that you know like bothers me so much not so much for myself but more so for people that are scared to like speak up for themselves and scared to like even if they know that like what is happening is not right like they still have that fear Mm -hmm. so like for my parents like that for me like is super super hard hitting like my mom literally had an instance where she got hit by a car and my mom like was calling the cops and the lady who hit her was just like okay call the cops I'm a I'm an American citizen because she was like white and my mom was like okay I am too and like the lady calmed down but like the cops came they didn't do anything they like didn't believe that my mom got hit by a car they didn't like do anything to like call an ambulance or like anything like that they were just like well you seem to be fine 
like nothing happened. Like, oh are you God. sure? Like, are you sure? And like, my mom's this little Mexican, like, lady like she's so tiny she like gets so nervous around cops that she just like left it and like I remember her like when she was telling me like she was she was just broken yeah like she was so devastated and I was like mom like you should have like asked for the police badge like she should have asked for his number like you should have gone and like reported it yeah and she was just like I didn't think about that and then what also, what resources exist for people of color to know those things? Exactly. So you, you not only do you have to defend yourself and like post videos of yourself when you're around cops, but now you have to teach yourself what, you know what I mean? How to protect yourself and how to go about things a legal way. And that's, that's one way in which the system's unequal. The cops know the legal ways to do things and they're not being checked on it because they don't think that you know those things yeah and that's what they take advantage of exactly and like I told her I was just and her words were like it wouldn't make a difference anyway they get away with things like that and like that's true it's a sad reality it is true like that Mm. is a reality like it's not every single cop and I think that that's where a lot of people on this issue try and break away from it it's just like like not all cops like no one is saying all cops like, I think that just has to be, like, taken away. What we're saying is that the system is broken to not give enough benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt and enough support to communities of color right. to be able to trust the systems that are there mm-hmm. to, quote, unquote, protect them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. It's not about, you know, showing that there are more good cops in the world, but it's like, this, this is deeply rooted. This is institutional. So regardless of how many good cops there are, like the numbers don't count because the system is uneven. It's it's disadvantaged to people of color. And now people of color have to find their own resources to protect themselves instead of the, uh, the system helping protect people of color. Yeah. Yeah. And I even had like a cop, he was like a police paramedic friend who said like, yeah, like people are actually racist towards people of color. And even with paramedics, like people are less likely to put more effort into helping like people of color who are hurting. You know, if people have to do CPR, they're not going to put as much time and they're not going to care as much if they see that this is a person of color than if they see that it's a a, a white person. They're not, yeah, like it's disadvantaged that way. We're taught to like people are taught to see people differently and less valuable. Mm-hmm. And so I think like just hearing that breaks my heart too. hearing your story and your mom's story breaks my heart. And it just, that's how people of color feel. Yeah. Like that, that's the reality of it. Yeah. Like you are scared, like you're nervous and in situations where you're supposed to get help, like you don't. Yeah. Like that, like that's it. Like that's the reality. Like do not try and have anyone fight me against that because until you lived it, you don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I remember a time where I was living in North Dakota and we were at my friend's brother's place and me and my friend, Rachel, like who's mixed went in one direction and we were, she was walking. I was like longboarding with her and talking And then my other two friends who were white went a different direction. And as we were just like walking around the neighborhood, a cop pulled us over and where they were like asking us what they were doing. Like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Like you're constantly having to prove yourself and prove that you're not out here to cause trouble by being yourself and by being human and existing. Yeah. Or also prove like along with what you're saying, like, prove that you're not like quote unquote the stereotype of like what they think you're going to be right so it's like I know a lot with like the black community like that I've seen it's just like you're taught like to be like no sir no ma'am like when you're talking to them to show that like hey like I have respect for you guys like please don't treat me like as if I were like this quote like this quote unquote like thug Right. Yeah. And like Hispanics are like that too. Like every interaction like I have with a cop, like my mind is like, be polite, be polite, be polite so that they don't lump you in with like this stereotype. Yeah. You're taught to like put your hands where the cops can see it constantly. You're before you move, you're taught to 
tell the officers, hey, I'm going, I'm going to reach for yeah. my wall. I'm going to reach for you're taught all these things to maneuver uh around a broken system that should believe you. Yeah. Right. And believe in your actions. And it's like, it's and it, all the while you're like terrified. You're so terrified. And yeah, I think people take advantage of that. I remember even another experience where me and my two friends were driving and then my friend that was driving is from out of state and he made like a, a wrong turn. He, he made a turn in a do not enter zone and this cop pulled us over and like started yelling at my friend driving. And it was just like, it's like, are you stupid? Why are you doing this? You're not so, like just consistently yelling. And you could tell like this cop was just like, this, whatever he's upset about had nothing to do with this, my friend that was driving. Mm -hmm. But for some reason he was just berating him and, and like, God forbid anything horrible happened. Like no one would be there to keep that cop accountable. And it, it, it's, it's scary. And I think people don't really understand it either. For example, another thing I've seen on Facebook was like, this guy was walking around and he saw that there was this like white supremacy symbol in, a, in the back of somebody's car mm -hmm. and he took a picture of it posted it on Facebook and was like beware like this guy who's a white supremacist around the neighborhood and people are commenting like oh my gosh like what like be safe like turn that in like get away from it and he responded it was a white guy and he was responding he was like yeah don't worry I called the police and told them about it and it's like me reading that as a person of color is like that's not helpful like if a person of color does not feel safe to be around a cop, you turning in that information to a cop doesn't, it doesn't make anyone else feel better about it, you know, mm -hmm. but somebody who might be white, who is, who is able to trust in the system, you know, and feel safe. I mean, like their thought is immediately like, Hey, like, let me turn this over like right. to get help. Yeah. They're able to be, see that they're protected. Yeah. By a cop. And for me, I'm like, that doesn't help one bit. Like that, that doesn't give me a peace of mind. The whole reason we're out here protesting is because we don't feel peace over this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that what is good though, and like, I hate that. Like, I hate saying that now that I actually say it because like, it, it sucks that it takes such a devastating like situation, but like you see the dialogue you know like I wish it was constant I wish it wasn't like like I don't want a black person to have to die for it to spark the conversation right right but like at least you know like I have seen I think more so with this case like a lot of dialogue Lots. like a lot of people like talking about it people like giving their opinions about it and I think that that's super important and it's like at least like it's a very tiny step in the right direction because there has to be more than just a Facebook post. There has to be more than just an Instagram post or like you like hashtagging his name mm -hmm. um, for there to be actual change. But at least it it sparks the conversation. Right. Yeah. I've seen, you know, with Ahmad Arbery, like a lot of people had that solidarity and started talking about it. And I think the biggest piece that I saw were like people running and like people running in his memory. And now it's more than that. People are gathering and putting more like people in action. And I think that that is definitely a good change that we're seeing. But again, you're right. It's tiny. It's not like the, the changes that will affect systems just yet. Mm -hmm. But I think it, like people are actually starting to acknowledge that this is a real thing. You know, yeah. like I think people, white people are starting to believe us that this is a thing that's happening. I agree with that. And I think that it's given me like a little hope, you know, to see more white people talking about it mm -hmm. and more people being vocal about it. And it's, it's something that like, I, I kind of go back and forth. But, like, I think for something like this, and it's it's something that, like, I told someone in, like, a Facebook comment, like, our voices, like, Black voices, Hispanic voices, like, any non-white voice is so often not heard mm -hmm. that, like, having, you know, more solidarity, like, more support from the white community, like, does make a difference. 
again, it sucks that it's situations like these, but like it starts opening their eyes a little bit more to like the struggles that black people have in this country. Mm-hmm. Like this is a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you can't keep ignoring it and just being like, I don't want to talk about it because it makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel hope hopeful as well. Yet skeptical to, you know, like, I just hope that it becomes more than just like social media. But yeah, but and as something that, again, affects institutions and systems, not just like random individual movements. But I think we are moving in that direction at the very least, you know, yeah, with people seeing it and responding to it in some way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah. So we should talk about the aftermath, right? Like the protests and the riots. Yeah. I think pretty soon after uh, social media caught wind of the story, people started organizing. Yeah. So, like, it happened, the incident happened on the 25th, um, which was a Monday. I know that they did start protests. Like, they were kind of, like, I don't want to say scattered, but they were, like, smaller protests, like, throughout the week. And then once, like, Friday hit, that was, like, a bigger protest. Mm -hmm. Then I feel like the biggest happened on Saturday, which, like, in full disclosure, and we did say, like, whether or not, like, we wanted to, like, mention it on here, but, like, me and Lola did go to a protest in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So, like, that was, so that was Saturday. And I feel like that was the day that they were seen across all of the U.S. And even international. There were protests in Germany. Right. Yeah. I've seen it. And I've even seen it in, I think, in, in the U.K. as well. So it's yeah. wild. Finally. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. You know? Um. So the aftermath with that, like, personally, this was the first protest, like, for this movement that, like, I've attended. And, like, it was so moving. Like, there was one instance in particular that like I remember saying to Lola and my sister who was with us I was like I like was so emotionally like overcome with it because in Chicago um the protest started on 26th street which is a very heavy like Hispanic community and the protest that we did go to um was like a unity protest between uh brown and black mm-hmm. uh, like I can't remember the name of it at the top of my head but it was Black and brown solidarity. Something. Yeah. yeah. It was organized by Hispanic communities, like in show and in solidarity with African-Americans. And it started on 26th Street and it's a very Hispanic, it's very, very Hispanic um, based area, like neighborhood. And when driving, because it was a car caravan, it took us right by like a prison. It was Cook County Jail. It was around the jail. Like, yeah. Around the four walls, people were driving. That was part of the route. Yeah. And, like, that was one of the hardest parts for me to see because there were people outside and you know that these were family members, like, holding, you know, like, an inmate's picture. And it's, like, an inmate that died by, like, police brutality. It's an inmate that died, like, of COVID, which is affecting minorities at much higher rates than it's affecting white people. Blacks, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it's, it's showing how... This issue is not just police brutality, like it's racism in a whole. Like it like for me, it's just like it's police brutality, it's racism, it's the prison system that is like targeting blacks, that is tar- like they incarcerate them at higher rates than like any other like ethnic group. Like mm-hmm. it was so much and like because of different aspects like of my life like prison reform is actually something that I'm like super super passionate about so like stuff like that like that got to me it also got to me seeing like a lot of Hispanics supporting this cause mm-hmm. and like for me that was I was like super happy that I went and like super happy that like I got to experience that because I think that this is something that like should be in our history books I always think of like history and how like you always want to be on the right side of it. Mm -hmm. And for me, like this is the right side, like showing up and actually like having a part of it. It feels small, but like when thousands of people show up, it's not. Right. And and when you see that it's happening throughout all 50 states, like that creates a huge ripple effect, you know, and 
um, shows that the whole world is behind it. And yeah, it was, it was incredibly powerful. And like seeing, like I, yeah, I saw this like black guy, like just like demanding justice from the police officer. And just like, you could tell with the way he was like talking to the police officer, like, I, I don't know. It's just, you see the heart on that guy as he's like talking face to face with a police officer. It's, it's not, it seems like something you would see in a video, but you, but you're actually seeing it in real life. And it's also, I think like that first person encounter, unfortunately, like the media gets a very bad rap and sometimes it is merited. But like, for me, like being there, it's like, okay, like I'm not just taking what I'm seeing like later on, like about the riots, which we'll get to, you know, like we were there, we saw that it was peaceful. It was meaningful. Like people were there with good intentions. It was people from like all walks of life. And like, you're unified for this cause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are definitely a few times where I was like tearing up because it was just powerful to see people come out and support the black community. So later on, there were riots. The day before that, um, there were a couple. Yeah, like in Minneapolis, like there was that riot that Oh yeah. um that happened and the gathering that happened before the Saturday that mm-hmm. we, like all the states kind of joined in on it, but on on that uh earlier Minneapolis had a riot that was pretty bad and it was publicized and then um that started to like follow suit I guess in the other states. Yeah. I think that it makes sense. It's actually like a psychological there's a term for that called the mob the mentality. Herd mentality, yeah. yeah. So like when when you have large people gathering like that, mm-hmm. they tend to things tend to be more escalated and people kind of like follow suit with what's going on and so yeah, because um, tensions and feelings are just probably like running high, high yeah, like super super high. So it's just, but what's interesting I think about this is that when it, like when you see a bunch of people of color come together um, in solidarity. And then there are riots. I think that's where you start to see the stereotypes playing in to what people think about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like for any other event where there are riot, like where there's like people gathering, for example, when you leave a game and somebody wins the national championship, like when the Cubs won the national championship, like of course there's people are going to be rowdy, people are going to be dressed. What did I say? National championship. (laughs) The World Series. Yes, thank you. The World Series. Series. (laughs) Series. <laughs> when people like come together for a big game, riots and and things like that naturally happen. But Super you don't common. you don't you don't stereotype, you don't racialize it, but with this situation, it became racialized, it became politicized, it became about people being thugs. And so yeah. so like it, it it's really unique. And then you you go back to where like well you could protest all you want but like the riot was a bad thing it becomes about the riot Ooh, and not the what, the cause the cause yep. yeah and i think going back to what you said and something that like i remember specifically from journalism classes is we were showed and i saw like the same thing happening when there were riots like happening here like we were showed pictures of the exact same situation and like it the the example that is mostly used is um, when Hurricane Katrina happened in New Orleans, where there was a picture of like two black guys and they were coming out of a store and they had um, like food. They went in and they got food um, because everything was being like looted. And the headline was just like, um, like two men like rob or looted this store, whatever. And then exact same situation. And it was white people and it was like family gathering supplies in time of need like when they were doing the exactly the same thing and I yeah. think that that's something that like happens so much where you have this situation that a lot of people are being a part of but you tie that negative stigma and you bring it back when you're reporting on people of color versus when you're reporting on a white person mm-hmm. so like it could be like even so much as like picture of a white person like rioting and it's like protests like protester even just by labeling them a protester and labeling like the black person the minority a rioter like you're already playing into that stigma you're already helping people bring back that negative connotation and attaching it to 
the race, which Mm -hmm. is literally the opposite of why people are protesting. Mm -hmm. Like that's the whole problem. Right. Yeah. It just, it it adds to the problem, but people kind of like to interact with it. Like it takes away from the cause. Like, but actually it just, it exhibits, I don't know, it exacerbates it and it shows that like, okay, this is part of the problem is that we're racializing and we're using these negative stereotypes about people of color when like, when these things happen naturally and it happens to like, when people gather, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you are very correct, very right. When it's like, it is a mob mentality. It is a herd mentality. It's not tied to a specific race. It's not tied to a specific cause. It happens in a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, like bringing up that, like, like might clarify for some people, like look at sporting events, like it happens all the time. Yeah. And no one makes it into like a race thing. Yeah. I saw a comment on Facebook and it was... A person saying how like it started off with them saying like I never really post about stuff like this which I will talk about but like basically saying how like the rioting is wrong and I think what really got people was like them saying like when I look back on this day I'm not going to remember the call co- like why like I'm not going to remember why you were rioting it's simply that like the city got destroyed for me like I think that people need to look at the history of riots as a whole And realize that, like, it starts because, like, every other protest, like, isn't getting heard. Mm -hmm. And one of, like, the greatest examples I saw was, you know, like, this idea of, you know, you need to protest in a calm manner. You need to protest peacefully. Like, people have been protesting peacefully. Colin Kaepernick has been protesting peacefully. You guys didn't like that. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of other people have been protesting peacefully. It uh, always gets criticized. Right. So it's like, I don't think it's a lot of people necessarily. It's the idea of like, we want you to protest peacefully because then we'll pay more attention. And then your point is going to get across even better. It's like for me, when someone's like, oh, you need to protest peacefully because, you know, like the riots are like wrong. I get it. And I don't condone violence Mm -hmm. like whatsoever. But I also think that, what I kind of hear from it is like, I, it would make me more comfortable if you protest peacefully because I am able to ignore that. Right. I am not able to ignore when you're setting like Chicago on fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. Speaking of that, there's police. Police sirens. <laughs> it's been going on all night. So you might hear that. Um, yeah. I think the thing, I mean, we've kind of dove right into it with like the worst, like what our thoughts are on people's, comments about the aftermath and what happened but like I agree with that the rhetoric of like oh it's the right like the riots are wrong I just for me if people are silent about the death of George Floyd or anyone else's life who was like lost at the hands of those brutalized by the police like to me it's like you don't have the credibility to talk to people of color about how to mourn and I think like regardless you don't have the credibility but especially during these times you have no credibility to speak into the lives of people of color, especially if you're not coming into the conversation with like, at least the willingness to want to understand what's going on. I mean, this is not to say that people shouldn't have their opinion, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But like, it just doesn't give you the credibility to like, enter into that conversation with people if you're like, this is how it should be done. This is how, like, you're supposed to respond. And for me, like, what I've seen is like, a lot of people's response to the writing is how does this help? I think that's mm-hmm. the the question I get and the question I've been seeing time after time. And I, I agree with you. Like I personally wouldn't want to be a part of the riot, but I can understand why rioting would happen. You know, after 400 years of people being murdered in silence, mm-hmm. if rioting um, and looting is the worst thing that's happened, that's honestly impressive to me. Like it's impressive that no, like much worse hasn't happened. And I don't think, again, I'm not like, saying that more should happen like I'm not saying that this was an okay to, thing to do but I just understand and I hear a lot of people say like how does this help um and I think like the looting and the writing is an emotional response and just because it's an emotional response doesn't also mean it's like not logical for something yeah. that like has happened Yeah, I I agree with you. And I think that definitely, you know, if you're not willing to how you said enter in that conversation, you definitely don't have a right to tell people how to feel. Because 
you know, like the black community is feeling probably every single type of emotion right now, like angry, hurt, like all that stuff. And, you know, like I'm absolutely no one to tell you how to express that, especially when it's, it's happening over and over and over again. And your voices are not being heard, but people want to tell you to still keep protesting peacefully. Exactly. And like, again, like I'm not like same thing. I'm not promoting violence and not promoting the idea of like all cops are pigs i'm not promoting like you see like people say some like very hard stuff and like i can also understand why people would be put off with that but like that's not the same again like the idea of like not all cops but like not all black people like not all like minorities are the stereotype that keeps being like attached to them but you like you don't speak up for that. Like you're still fine with not being vocal about them being killed Mm -hmm. by cops. Mm -hmm. Like that's not okay. And like for me, you know, I think that people, like I said, like need to think about, you know, the history of this country and how a lot of movements were started with protest, with riots and something that like, very much so pissed me off about the person who made that comment on Facebook that like they would never remember like the reason for the riot. They would just remember the riot was that like they're part of another marginalized group, which is like the LGBTQ community. And I was like, hello, the Stonewall riots. Mm -hmm. Like, do you not remember? And like, I told you, I was just like, like, how do they make that separation? Yeah. And I remember you saying like, That's exactly the point, too. The fact that you won't remember. Yeah. Like. Is the point. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, for me, it's, like, the Stonewall riots, in case no one knows, it's a riot that started in New York City for police brutality against LGBTQ members. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, it's part of this person's specific history, but they're so far removed from it that they don't even remember that, like, the only reason that they're allowed to be gay in public is because members of their community have rioted and have fought for those rights because if no one had done that like who knows where that would be right now yeah absolutely so it's like i got so mad i was like this person needs to check themselves for sure very much so another thing that like bugs me about how does that help is like that that question is already a defensive question and i i learned in my i'm learning in my program that like the way that you ask a question changes the direction of the conversation. Hmm. So like when you're saying, how does that help? First of all, it's not even, it's not a good question to be having to someone who hasn't, who is having an emotional response. And it's like a bad question at best. And it doesn't help you get to the answers to really understand the history and the why behind why somebody would be doing that. And I feel like a better question might be like, what's coming up? What is going on? Like that's better, but like, how does it help implies that you're doing this wrong. Mm -hmm. But because these actions are emotionally driven, what you're communicating to people of color is that your way of handling things is better than the way that I would have handled things, which is furthering the white privilege that people have in asserting dominance over people of color. Mm. And so like, and then to make matters worse, people are just focusing on the rioting and looting and still continue to bypass the experience of blacks being targeted. Like, people jump on this rioting bandwagon as an excuse not to enter into the conversation mm-hmm. of race, in which case you're still using your privilege privilege to maneuver the narrative and the conversation of what's going on. Yeah. And so, like... And it is. It is yeah. a privilege to be able to exit out of that conversation, which is exactly what I told that person. And they took down my um, the message, by the way. Yeah, you wrote, like, a lovely response. You're like... I'm not, you like, you said it in the most uh, non-defensive way. And like, you're saying that like, I'm not meaning to offend and, and you laid out your points very well and conversationally too, but they still took it down. Yeah. They, they deleted that whole post, which literally proved my point. That she can exit the conversation. Yeah. Because it was about like how she was just like, I don't want to discuss this. Or like, I I choose not to argue this anymore or something like that. But it's like, you get to do that. Yeah. Like black people don't get to do that. Hispanics don't get to do that. Like Asians don't get to do that. Like non-white minority groups do not have the privilege to just be like, "Um, I'm going to pull a Taylor Swift and please excuse me from this narrative. Like they can't do that. Yeah. Like you're going to talk about it. 
you're going to live through it every single day until there's an actual change. And the fact that you are able to just bloop, like evaporate it and choose to ignore it. Like you're literally proving my point. Right. And like, I even engaging that topic of like the rioting and the worst case scenario for somebody who loses their business, their small owned business, like, um, is that people lose their money investments. And then even let's go as far as to say their livelihood, um, or their means of making money. But at the end of the day, they're still alive. So like, what's worse losing your livelihood or losing your life. And so like, sure. Losing life is still worse. And yet we're still focused on the livelihood, right? Like we're still focused on the person who won't be able to make money versus the person who's dead because people are brutally murdering him, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, it it does suck that people lose their livelihood. And I'm not trying to say it doesn't suck, but like, again, we're taking away from the the conversation. What's worse is that people are losing their lives over what's not fair and what is unjust. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree with you. And again, like this is in in no way, like, are we promoting violence? Like, but like, I'm also, you know, like all in favor of protesting. And if there is a riot, you know what, like, it's a damn good reason. Like this is over like when you like how you said when you consider that there's riots over sporting events, Mm -hmm. like this is a million times a better reason for there to be a riot than your team sucking. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so I guess like the takeaway for that is just like give people of color the same benefit of the doubt that you might give others, people who are white, right? Um, and even to drive this point home, I'm going to use the same words that the president used towards the white protesters wanting to get their haircuts. And I want to insert it here because it, it, it's perfect. He said, you should give a little and put out the fire. We are very good people, but we are angry. And then he goes on to say, we want our lives back safely. But I really can't even say that about people of color because that really never was a thing. So I want to even say, like, we want to live in a world where we feel safe and things are just. See us, talk to us and make a deal. And that's really what we're advocating for is the same, that same benefit of the doubt that you, that people are giving whites with guns who are going about like yelling and screaming and having a right of their own. Um, And then I even talked about like the platform earlier. I think one point or one takeaway from that is like, check yourself that you're not using the hardships and injustices that people face to elevate yourself above people who are actually suffering. You know, I think there are those who say they're allies, but they might just say that to get attention and followers or they they think they are being allies, um, but they're not really regularly in the lives of people of color on the day-to-day, on a day-to-day basis. And no one's really fact-checking them to tell them that they're actually hurting more than they're helping. You know, like I had a friend who sh- who sent me a this like Instagram person's profile where like they quoted MLK, but it was a pic- it was a picture of a white girl and she was dressed all cute. And it's like, that's that doesn't come across what you're saying there, this picture of yourself a white person and quoting MLK and saying black lives matter. Like you're elevating like yourself above the movement, but you're using that like insert MLK quote here, hashtag black lives matter when you're really elevating yourself in that scenario. And so I think I, I just yeah. say in that scenario, just check yourself. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good point. And like, I don't know if I told you this, but I got so mad today because there's an Instagram account called influencers in the wild and someone recorded this white lady ask a worker um, who was helping, like, board up or, like, helping fix, like, the windows of a business mm-hmm. if she could borrow the tool that he was using and had her boyfriend take a picture of her holding the tool, like, as if she was helping. What? Yeah. And I was like, that is disgusting. I'm like, you've, like... I was like the audacity that's like took a picture of herself with a tool pretending that yeah like pretending that she was helping oh wow and then like you heard her go like black lives matter like as she got into the car I was like thank you guys so much I'm like that is disgusting you're a disgusting human being like someone needs to find out who you are and actually say that to your face like somebody needs to check check her on that yeah like if I was her boyfriend I'd be like are you fucking kidding me right now (laughs) 
Are you kidding We're breaking me? up. Bye. I'd be like, you need to check your girl because I don't know why she thinks that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's not okay. It's it's definitely not okay. And I think that you brought up the point of being an ally. Like, if you consider yourself an ally and you want to be an ally, you need to be there. You need to be there for the hard conversations. You need to not get upset if someone wants to talk about race, like not get upset if someone wants to talk about racism, especially your friends of color. Girl, yes. Mm -hmm. Like to me, like that is if one of my friends were to like one of my white friends were to genuinely have that conversation with me, like I would think so much more highly of them. Yeah. Then them just like maybe thinking like oh i have a black friend i have a hispanic friend like i'm fine like that's not enough yeah absolutely like Mm -hmm. actually be an ally like speak up yeah absolutely and like learn what that means ask people uh, I even want <laughs> I was like, like really Lola because you go back and forth with this yeah I do go back and forth don't put the responsibility on a person of color to help you figure things out but like maybe if you're asking about their experience that that's fair yeah you know um, I agree with that yeah yeah I think that a lot of people are showing support right now and that's definitely appreciated from a person of color and I'm sure from like the black community but I think that everyone needs to realize that this has to be ongoing yeah this cannot just be whenever someone dies right absolutely it's not a one-off thing it's not yeah you you want to learn about these things outside of that context because in context of somebody actually like being murdered blacks are mourning and so for them, for you to ask questions as somebody is mourning, is just reaping more and more stress on a person of color. One other thing that I wanted to mention last week, we talked about mental health and I wanted to bring that, bring that back to mind because what I talked about, I think is relevant here too. I had talked about how like there's the criminaliz- criminalization of black folk. And I think this is exactly another situation in which the criminalization of black people hinders their ability to receive the help that they deserve. And so last week I said uh, one in three blacks receive mental help. And in this situation, we need to be reminded that a whole race is experiencing trauma over and over again. And we aren't really calling it for what it is. Instead, we're called thugs. Instead, the response isn't to listen to people of color. Instead, even according to the president, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Like, and the, the response to our trauma is is for us to be thrown in jail, is for us to be seen as thugs and to be killed in silence. And we aren't even being given the benefit of the doubt to being brokenhearted. Like the reason why we're doing this is because we're broken and we're brokenhearted over this situation and like responding out of 400 years of trauma. And we aren't even given the benefit of the doubt of being good people who are angry. And so again, this is why I think mental health happens, especially within the African-American community. And so I think the point there, the takeaway there is that consider the fact that people of color are experiencing trauma and 400 years worth of it. And so like, imagine what that might do to a person and consider that context and then kind of like see what's going on. Um, Not only that, but with every single shooting, we're re-experiencing it over and over again without any like resolution. Yeah. I think that's a very important thing to realize. And kind of what we said at the beginning, like this keeps happening over and over and over again and when is it gonna stop like what is gonna be like the absolute tipping point and that's why like I say that like this has to be continuous they can't just be like when someone dies because if the conversation is only going to be when someone dies like it's going to keep happening yeah. And it takes an emotional and physical toll on people of color for sure. Yeah. It's it's exhausting too. like for a person of color. And you mentioned this early, like it hits close to home and we live with this, these facts and realities every day. We can't be removed from them. There's never a time we can escape from the realities and we don't get to walk away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, like I keep saying, like it is very sad and very unfortunate that it seems to be conversations that only get brought up when 
unfortunately someone passes away. Yeah. And we have to change that. And like the only way that that's going to change is if people keep talking about it. So like for me personally, like I know that I will keep talking about it. And like the main thing I ask from white people is to not shut down conversations just because you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Because like if that's going to be the case, if you choose to remove yourself from the conversation, you're choosing to ignore every single person of color. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think you're more of a gentle, maybe not gentle soul, but I just feel like I've had a lot of bad conversations on this. And so I think I have maybe more boundaries with that. I think one thing to know about like having that conversation with people of color, at least for me personally, I should say that for me personally, if a person decides not to talk to you about these topics in the moment or a friend you know decides not to, like, don't shame them. Because I think for some people, protecting their inner peace is more valuable than having a conversation. And again, I want to clarify that I'm speaking about people of co- people of color in particularly. I think whites need to have more of these conversations, not less. But if, but like, when you're having these conversations with people of color, and if they're not up to it, like, don't shame them. Um, I think some of us have these conversations and think about these things every, like, all the time. And so it's always a risk for, for me, at least me personally. I feel like having to speak about these issues publicly, not only to be met with people who minimize and dismiss our voices, multiplies the wounds that are already there. It, like, reaps trauma. So some days it might not be worth it to engage, especially if we're feeling, like, tenderhearted about the situation. Which is why I feel like educating yourself outside of these really heated situations is helpful because when things get heated, like I'm wounded already having to like see these things much more having a conversation about it. And so with that being said, don't put people of color in the position to speak because being dismissed doesn't leave us like that experience of being dismissed doesn't leave us in like that moment or the next hour or months or even days. I think we carry this tension our entire lives and even through generations. And like, these are generational traumas we're talking about and uprooting those is tough work and it's work that people of color don't get enough credit for. Yeah. I think that that's a really good point to bring up that like the conversation we had earlier, like you explained it to me, like it is trauma and it is emotionally and mentally exhausting. So you have to give people space and time to process um, and to let them grieve and grief is something that, you know, like takes time. So yeah, I, I completely agree. One more thing I have to say, I'm just on it. Anyway, <laughs> I think like faith is such a huge passion of mine. Not passion of mine, it's a huge part of my life. Faith as it pertains to social justice is like a, a huge passion of mine. And I feel I've given like talks on this at different schools, at events. And I think that people of faith need to remember that like social justice is not a side piece of faith and because it's like it's woven throughout the gospel it's all over the gospel and I don't think enough pastors are preaching on this and so people of faith are so disconnected to how scenarios like this are of most of most important to the church like I think churches are sleeping on this situation and need to get more involved and I think churches should be the ones leading and mobilizing these movements because as Christians we have the gift of reconciliation in a such a unique way and looking at injustices and responding in light of it. And so I think we're commanded to act in these circumstances. It bothers me when people think that the only thing they have to do is pray because the Bible talks to us about how like we're supposed to act and that we're not just supposed to sit here um, and be distant and safer in our homes. We're supposed to be in the front lines like Dr. King was. And I think we, we have a unique and prophetic voice in this situation. And like we quote Dr. Martin Luther King all the time about have him having a dream, but like really this, his dream was connected to God's vision and story of humanity. And so like, I just want the church to wake up and do more than ask God, how long, Oh Lord, because like he's called us to do more than pray. He's called us to like move and be mo- and mobilize and act. So that is my thought. I think that that's a very interesting point. I honestly haven't really thought about it in a Christian context that much until I started seeing posts. And I'm like, that's, you know, like it definitely makes sense. And there's one specifically that I saw where 
they talked about Luke 15 and they were summarizing basically like it said like there are a hundred sheep but one goes missing and Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one. The group of the 99 was like, but what about us? Don't we matter? Of course, the 99 still matter, but they're not the ones in danger. The one is. And a lot of people are using that example to call Christians to like pay more attention to the Black Lives Matter movement and to be able to understand it in that context. So I think that's definitely a valid point and it's definitely another way to look at it that hopefully is able to connect with a lot more people. Yeah, it's a very it's a very hard hitting and very sensitive subject. And I think that everyone just kinda has to give each other a little bit of grace and realize that a lot of people have to process it in different ways. So yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining us in this episode. Um, it was a really heavy one. Yeah, it was really heavy. So thank you for sticking with us. And hopefully you're able to have these conversations more with people like in your life. And it's definitely something that is going to be more ongoing. And I'm sure like in later episodes, you know, like as people of color, we will keep touching base on issues that like our communities face. Yeah, Thank you for listening. Let us know what your thoughts are. Follow us on Insta at Thinking Thick, on Twitter at Thinking Thick One. And if you have any other questions or comments, you can also reach out to us via email at thinkingthickpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye.